We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. All right, hello everyone and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am going solo to here. This is a live pod I'm doing on playback. Uh, I am Tim. You know me as Cranjus Basketball on Twitter. And we have, we have uh, you know, it's Monday. I hope you're doing well. How am I doing? I'm kind of pissed off. <laughs> kind of annoyed. Um, I feel like the discourse after every Lakers loss is just so annoying. Uh, I'm, I just want to go back, rewatch the game, see what I see, and then, and then see what people are talking about, see if it matches up. And it does not match up for this last game. And I want to talk about it a little bit. So two big topics, one Lakers specific, the second one, you know, Lakers specific, but more not a Laker fan discussion, but I see something I see other, other fans from other teams talking about the Lakers with, and that's the foul situation, the foul disparity. The Lakers are drawing a lot of fouls and they are not committing many fouls on the season. Is it good? Is it wrong? Is the fix in? What's going on there? So pulled some numbers, wanted to to discuss both of those, but let's start with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis in this most recent game, a loss against the Chicago Bulls, had 15 points, 
nine rebounds, five assists, his fourth highest assist mark of the season, six for eight shooting, three for six at the line, not very good, had two turnovers, five fouls. He was in some foul trouble. He was able to contribute uh, on his post up, so mostly him, and then I think there was maybe a kick out involved here. Actually, you know what? No, I think these were all him. Seven points and six post-ups. LeBron in his first game back, six points and six post-ups. Neither of them uber effective. Both of them had their volume limited a bit. Uh, I like some of the set plays, and I I tweeted them out. Sean Davis has tweeted them out. Um, The kind of cross screen to set up a post-up for LeBron, then with the original cross-screening guy sprinting up to the top of the key off of a, a down screen right around the free throw line. I've called this uh, cross for the cross screen, then punch for the post up, and then uh, screen the screener. So STS for for running up to the top of the key. We also see saw the team run that once, and then the guy who was giving the ball to AD or it was LeBron actually, then ran right by him and received the handoff, and it was Reeves. He got a layup right at the rim. Great play, clears the space for that cut. After that guy cuts through, cuts through, if he doesn't get the flip, then LeBron has a true one v one to go to work. You are actively, you're not just giving him the ball and standing around. You're giving him the ball and they're running an off-screen action directly away from the rim and drawing the defense out. So love to see that. There were some cool new sets the team ran. From an X's and O standpoint, team is still tracking pretty strong from a usage of sets standpoint. Now, which plays they're running, how well they're countering post-help. There are nuances to this discussion and we'll dig into those. But let's directly address the idea that Anthony Davis doesn't have that dog in him or Anthony Davis doesn't want to be there or he's not trying hard enough or the guards aren't giving him the ball. Let's talk about it. Two big areas. AD is very good. Very good as a basketball player. Two of many. Not These aren't the only two. He's a very good post player. He's a very, very good role man. You could say he's elite in both of those areas. He's been very efficient. He gets good volume. He His post game will turn into an ISO game at times. But he's not a guy you want spotting up. He's not generally a guy you're having coming off of off-ball screens. Every now and then we see him run a ball screen himself with a guard setting a screen for him in an inverted ball screen situation. Obviously a monster in transition. And that's an area of the game that he might have 8 points, 12 points, or 0 points. And, And you see that when you look at his game log, game by game for transition points, it goes up and down and up and down. It's not consistent. And that's because the team has to get there in the first place. You don't just choose to get there. And then once you're there, you want to make the right play. And that's not always, you know, feeding AD isn't always the open man in transition. A lot of times it is, and they do it, and it works. But uh, this game against Chicago, a team that, and I mentioned this on our playback stream, watching live in the pregame, Chicago gives up the lowest percentage of uh, transition frequency of any defense in the league. They don't let you run, and they didn't let the Lakers run. The Lakers barely had any fast break points. And so that's, eh, there's one area that AD likes to get volume just gone. But post-ups and rolls are two areas that he does get a good good bit of volume. Rolling is something he's very good at. He's very impactful doing. He's efficient when he does it. He's a nice big lob target. He is able to, he has a good catch radius. You can throw the ball in a bunch of different places and he'll go get it. But rolls inherently are something that's a low consistency form of offense. I'm just going to read off, bear with me here for a second. I'm going to read off the roll man scoring possessions. And this includes pops as well for Anthony Davis over, I don't know, I think I grabbed the last 15 games or so. 
8485532279341329264131 There's some high numbers, 9s, 8s, 7s. There's some ones and twos in there. And the reason for this is that roles can be schemed out in a way. It, you, you are at the mercy of what plays are we calling? And, you know, if you're just running a pick and roll, you're going to have roles. But how was the defense choosing to defend us? If the defense is at the level of the screen with Anthony Davis's defender when he's setting the ball screen, that gives him the inside position to roll. And then it comes down to how well is the defense rotating to take away that roll. If the defense is in drop, it's harder to feed the roll man. If the defense is in drop and they're going under ball screens, it's even harder because 80s man may not even need to leave him at all. So, and, and also, regardless of if you have a shooter standing in the corner or not, normal basketball rotation principles are to help to take away drives at the rim and take away rolls. And they do that with the weak side, low man defender. So the guy closest to the baseline, usually, most teams, this is usually how they run their rotation principles. That's the guy who's in the best position to help. They're coming from the weak side. If you are to pass it to their man, it's further away from the ball. Therefore, it gives the defense more time to recover. And and good question in the uh, chat, coach. No, I don't have any video for this. There are no games going on right now. If there were, I'd throw one on just for some background. But I'm just I'm just talking right now. So whether you have a subscription to Spectrum or League Pass or nothing at all, you should be able to hear me right now. But we are not collectively watching anything. Um, I do plan to do another film review soon and pull film, and we're going to go through the next series of plays that the Lakers have run. And uh, I think I know which one I want to do next. So that'll be upcoming today. We are not. So just just talking, just audio for today. But so low man principles, it doesn't matter if it's Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Steph Curry, Andre Drummond. They don't care. That's who should be rotating over. And then you trust that the defense behind you is going to help the helper. When we talk about helping the helper, this is what we mean. The first guy goes to defend the rim, either from a drive or a, a roll. His man's open now, unless a teammate helps him. And that's what they should do. And good defenses do this. And this is something that, like, Dennis Schroeder was bad at. Taylor Horton Tucker was bad at. Russell Westbrook was bad at. So when you're running schemes that require more of that helping, there's more pressure on those perimeter players to execute those rotations. And that was problematic in previous seasons. This year, the Lakers are running a bunch of drop. That limits how often you're doing that. But regardless... If you're playing teams and they're at the level of the screen, they're going to need to attack. They're going to need to to take away that role. And they're going to do it regardless of how strong a shooter is in that corner. And so if they get there on time and because AD is a really strong role man, you've got to go and really get in front of him. You can't just be around him and take him away. You have to get fully in front of him. And that means an extra step or two. And that means that it's an easier kick out pass to, to that corner player. So... That's like when it comes to roles, they're going to try to take away AD away. Or if they're just in drop or they don't have to leave him, they're in a better position to take him away. And so what you can do schematically to try to open up those roles is keep those defenders that would be helping doing other things. Keep them occupied. And there are a number of ways that you can do that. The Lakers recently, and I've really liked them doing this, they have opened games up recently game after game with a lot of set plays that do this they they it's an empty side role meaning there's no corner player there to tag on the strong side 
and they often have weak side action going on to occupy the, the weak side defenders. So I'm just going to list off some names. You may be familiar with the concepts, may not, but they ran a horns elbow flip and then uh, like a stack or Spain uh, screen with, with an exit screen as well. A cross elbow pitch step exit, a ram fist exit, a delay flip exit. What's the common concept here? We're running a ball screen and there's an exit screen. That means we have a on-ball player driving, attacking the rim. We have a roll man attacking the rim. And then we have an exit screen, which is a, a screen for a shooter starting from under the rim, running out to one of the corners. And that is pulling defense away from the rim. And when you're, you're creating those empty side looks, there's also no other defender nearby to tag AD. And these are the plays the Lakers start games with. And they, they're, out, they're AD alley-oop plays, basically. And they've been really good at this. I think they can run some of these more. But ultimately, the defense can still tag him. They can still decide to take him away. And it just comes at the expense of the offense being able to pick who they want in that, that exit screen, taking those threes. Or the ball handler is able to get to the rim. So it's never, like, there will be concepts that should get AD more involved. And with the tracking I've done on the season, seeing which plays get which positions involved, there are plays that get the center more involved. But not always. It's still, to a certain extent, it's still up to the defense. And they're picking their poison. And it's a poison. It's not, uh, well, we've decided to shut AD down today. And uh, that's it. There's nothing you can do. There's always, you know, there's it's a give and a take. If you're sending extra help on AD, there are other players open. And that's where the, the roles that AD has still have an impact. He may not have the shooting volume for his roles, but that doesn't mean they're not working. That doesn't mean he's not pressuring the defense. And this is a key concept because I, I, we might go through a game where you see AD get, you know, his volumes down. He's not shooting as much, but he has a tremendous impact because his roles are collapsing the defense and then creating wide open threes for, for his teammates. Spoon fed open threes for corner stationary catch and shoot three point shooters. That's good offense. And unless it's, you know, Jared Vanderbilt or somebody standing in the corner. And then if that's the case, there are little tweaks you can do to make sure it's not him. But that's still impactful. It still matters. It's still good. You don't need AD to put up numbers for the team to do well. And this is why. This is one of those reasons why. Specific with roles. And just some specific examples. Um, I saw against the Chicago game, he him not able to get to the ball once because his, his defender stayed home on him. There was a ball screen. His man didn't even try to contain and this created a seam for Lonnie Walker to drive and finish at the rim. AD wasn't going to get the ball, but because of the AD lob threat, his man couldn't engage the ball. And that created a good scoring opportunity. He had an impact there. We might see plays where he doesn't get the ball on a roll because the defense is switching. And if they don't switch well, you could still kind of get the inside position and roll and you know throw the lob over the top. But there will be teams in games where they switch well and they get in between AD and the, and the basket. So he might not get a roll, but then you have a mismatch to go attack. Um, didn't see that this last game, but we've seen it in recent games. There will be times, and we saw this plenty last game against Chicago. He's rolling and a tag comes. Somebody gets in his way. He's not open. That means someone else is open. And then there will also be times where he's open and the ball handler just didn't see him. And I reviewed the film, one, to log all of our plays. And then also I reviewed AD's minutes on offense a second time just to see were they just not seeing him. And that wasn't my takeaway. My takeaway wasn't, ah, well, he was wide open and the, you know, the vision was, was poor from the guards. 
There are specific guards that I think see the floor better than others, but this wasn't like a rampant issue in that one game. So when he's creating open threes for teammates as a result of his his rim, you know, roll gravity, that's good. He's drawing help, not even having the ball in his hands. And that's creating opportunities for others. So that's the role man part. It's not really a AD needs to force it. Now his teammates can try to force it. His teammates can try to get the ball to him even when he's not open. And fun fact, I don't I don't know for all the people saying, oh, well, the guards need to get AD more involved. The guards had five turnovers against Chicago trying to pass to Anthony Davis. Five turnovers trying to get AD the ball when he was not open. So don't tell me that they weren't trying to get him the ball. He had eight shots. He had six free throws. He had a couple turnovers with the ball in his hands. And then he also added to five more turnovers that the team had because they didn't, they were trying to force it. They were trying to press the issue when it wasn't the right basketball play. So from a role man standpoint, understand that there will be ebbs and flows to the volume. There will be certain teams you play where they decide that they're not going to be beaten by a bunch of catch and shoot corner threes. Or, and they're going to, you know, tag AD, but not as well. Or they're going to play drop, and their drop guy isn't someone that's able to take away AD as a lot threat. They're, or they're going to switch, and they're going to take away the rolls, and they're going to deal with the post-up game. And that brings us to the next point. Post-ups. AD is a very good post player. AD is an excellent 1v1 post player. How do I know this? One, I've, I've watched all these, these thinking plays in these games over and over again, but... Two seasons ago, two seasons ago, during the during the 2020-2021 season, for AD and the rest of the team, I tracked every post up that the team ran for, I think it was like five months of the season. And I tracked it whether or not they had a scoring possession. So this wasn't just look at the synergy film and see how many times, you know, somebody got a post up where they turned the ball over, had a shot or, or got a free throw trip. No, I looked at every time they got a post touch. And sometimes they had to pass it out, reset, and that wouldn't show up in synergy data. I tracked that. I found that. When we looked at that data, I saw, here are my key takeaways. And you may be familiar with this. Apologies if you've seen this already. Uh, here, I'm going to link in. If you're, if you're in the chat right now, I'm linking in my Tableau dashboard to that post-up analysis. Go check that out. It's interactive. Make it full screen and then you can play around with it pretty well. If you're listening to this right now on the podcast feed, I'm going to stick the link in the description to the podcast. If I remember, if I don't remember, just at me on Twitter and, and I'll get it over to you. But my, here are my takeaways. AD and LeBron cook defenses when you let them play 1v1. They scored 1.19 points per possession. That's really good. <laughs> That's really, really good. Because, takeaway number two. Because AD and LeBron cook defenses 1v1, defenses don't want them to do that. Um, and so they saw a lot of post help. We are not frequently seeing, or at least that season, we weren't frequently seeing other teams just concede 1v1s against the Lakers' elite post players. When the Lakers countered the help that was sent, they were even more efficient. They were more efficient when you sent help and then they be, they ran a counter to beat it, then when you just let them cook 1v1, they scored 1.37 points per possession. Really good. And that's because it's not just, I'm going to beat my guy 1v1. It's, I have a 4v3 away from the ball. We have a numbers advantage. And I'm going to find it and get the ball to it. So they did a really good job. Exploit. Well, 
I shouldn't say that. They didn't do a very good job on the season exploiting those those that help. But when they did, they scored really well. When they faced help and didn't have a counter, they really struggled. 0.81 points per possession. Really different. Forcing it through or into a double team isn't good offense. It's not good offense. Kicking it out to guys standing still and allowing the defense just to recover isn't good offense. It's really easy to recover to a skip pass and if everyone's just standing still. When players are cutting and screening and moving, it makes it harder. And that's why those post counters matter so much. Because if you run them, and this was another takeaway, seeing seeing this, looking at it play-by-play play sequentially over quarters and games, when the Lakers counter the help consistently, defenses realize, oh, this is even worse than when we play them 1v1. So then they'll change up the help, and the Lakers need to prove they can beat the second kind of, kind of help for some teams. For some teams, they just said, all right, well, never mind. Go play 1v1. So if you have the right answers, AD and LeBron can cook. Or they'll be making the right plays and finding teammates and allowing them to cook on those pass outs. But post help comes in more than one way. You can, we, we saw this against Chicago. You can have players at the elbows and the blocks. They're not double teaming, but they're deterring drives. If you, if you drive at them, you're not going to get to the rim. They're there. And it's somewhat easier to recover to skip passes because they're not all the way on you. You could double from the strong side. You could dig from the strong side. You could double from the weak side. You could just kind of pre-rotate from the weak side. If you're helping from the strong side, you could decide whether or not you want to send a an extra defender from the weak side to bump over and cover that immediate kickout. Phoenix did this recently against the Lakers. And when the Lakers tried to put a square peg in a round hole and they were countering, like, let's say, a strong side double with something on the weak side that doesn't really address the problem... They were really bad. They stunk. Their efficiency was really poor. You can see this in the dashboard. And they turned the ball over 25% of the time because their post players were reading a side of the court that wasn't the right side of the court. So you have to run the right stuff. And this wasn't AD specific either. This was for everybody. This was for LeBron, Montrezl Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Marcus Saul, Markeith Morris, Andre Drummond, Damian Jones. I think there's another one or two in there. So breaking news, it is easier to score 1v1 instead of 2v1. And if the Lakers do a good job countering help, they should be able to get more 1v1s. Against Chicago, the Lakers didn't do a very good job countering that help. They did. There was one time in the first quarter I saw them do it on a rewatch live. It was like until 40 minutes into the game that I noticed it. They had a couple, but it wasn't consistent. And it allowed Chicago to continue sending help and limit the volume. There were pass outs because, hey, we just don't have anything here. And again, 88 five assists, he he was able to generate opportunities for teammates. Um, we saw him get short rolls where he was swarmed and then kicked it out. We saw post passes versus the help to open shooters. He was making the right basketball plays. And that's the next key thing I'm going to talk about. There should be an elasticity of Anthony Davis's aggression. And what I mean by that is, his the level of aggression, the level of I'm going to go get my shot from Anthony Davis should directly relate to the context around him. If AD's aggression is elastic and based on context, that's because he has a high basketball IQ. He had eight shots, three free throw trips, and four assists against, I'm sorry, five assists, fourth highest of the season against Chicago for a reason. If you play him 1v1, he's going to cook you. If they send help, the right play is not to force it. We just we just talked about this. And so it's a matter of 
how the team's operating defensively that dictates how he plays and then how his team is operating that dictates how he plays as well. When he's when he sees help in that 2020-2021 sample, there was a 240% increase in his pass out volume. And it was the right place. Those are the right plays. Him going 1v2 is not a good play. So, and I'm not saying that 100% of his plays based on scheme, there is an individual aggression factor here. That is a factor. And there will be times where he forces shots that aren't good shots. He's just good enough that some of them go in, just not at a high enough rate because they're bad shots. He's a good player. He's a good shooter. Some of those are bad shots, and that's going to limit his effectiveness. So if Anthony Davis's aggression is inelastic to help being brought, and he's going to force it no matter what, those are that's low basketball IQ. That's a bad basketball player. And at that point, he's a chucker. That is not what we should be asking of him. That is not what you want from your stars. Your stars, their job is to draw help and then beat help by making the right play. That's what basketball is all about. So if you want him forcing it, that's not the right answer. The results aren't there. Attract it. The results aren't there. It's not the right answer. When you counter it well, you get good results. And that's what we should be rooting for as Lakers fans. And that's a team thing. That's a scheme thing. That's a play calling thing. But then he also needs to read the floor well. So that's... From a, from a uh, post-up standpoint, and we saw this with LeBron too, both of them were limited in a way based on the help Chicago was sending. Now, another element of this, and this is something I heard in our Discord last night, is the idea that the Lakers are running plays for their guards too much or the guards aren't getting him involved. Well, again, it turns out I track every set the team runs. I know which plays tend to go to which positions. And... I'll, stay, I'll say this in general, organized offense equals more Anthony Davis. When the team is playing pickup basketball offense, he's less involved. Lately, the team has been playing much more organized than they've been all season long. So that is good. We want that. And we're going to take a quick break while I grab some water and then, and then keep going into this. So I'm going to throw the commercial in right here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so getting AD involved. When they have called set plays, there have been some games where the, the, the collection of plays the Lakers run would lead us to believe AD should be more involved based on how those plays have resulted in, you know, distribution of opportunity throughout the season. Then there are other games where we would expect AD to not be involved based on the plays that were being called. For example, against Dallas, the expected involvement for AD within the sets 
was 47%. About half of the plays the Lakers ran were kind of AD plays. Ninth best on the season. Um, but the defense sold out to take them away, as they can do. And what that meant is it opened up teammates. Against OKC recently, this was a bad play calling game. The expected involvement for Anthony Davis against Oklahoma City was 47th ranked of the 49 games he's played in the season at a 27.2% expected usage. That's bad. And then against Chicago, this was actually more of an average play calling game in terms of the expected involvement for him, ranked 24th of 49 games. Uh, His actual usage, though, was 6.25%. Super low. We have not seen a larger difference between how much we'd expect him to be used and how much he was actually used all season long. And this was for a reason. Chicago was doing things to take him away. It was a mix of like Dennis pick and rolls being negated in sets that would normally generate advantages and have gotten AD the ball. But when you can go under his ball screens, they don't matter. So you don't need to leave AD at all. So that, you know, threw out a chunk of plays. There were situations where AD was rolling and Chicago tacked real hard. They were dropping at times and then also tagging hard, which really takes away AD. And that opened up other players and they got shots. There was also really good ball pressure and that disrupts the timing of your plays. That disrupts the timing of your post-ups, your rolls. And timing is such a key thing. I saw a number of plays where, and it wasn't just with AD, but Laker players were rolling and there was an opportunity to get them to the ball for just a split second. And in that split second, whoever the Lakers ball handler was, and it was a bunch of guys, it wasn't just one guy, they were being hounded on ball by Caruso or Ayo Desumu or Pat Beverly. Those three guys did a real good job. And that is something that just in general can take you out of your offense. We also saw times where within actions like the, the Lakers Chicago action, you might hear it called Zoom action, where there's a pin down into a handoff uh, or stack actions, or you might hear it called Spain, where there's a ball screen and then a, a shooter from under the rim that's either going to just run up to the top of the key, receive a down screen from the roller, or set a back screen for the roller. On those actions, the defense stayed home on AD. They conceded ball handler drives or kick out threes. They were not going to let AD beat them. And again, as I mentioned before, the Lakers tried to get AD involved. There were five turnovers from the guards trying to pass to Anthony Davis. They were forcing it even when he was taken away on rolls. So I do not want to hear that the Lakers weren't trying to get him involved from a play calling standpoint because no, the play calling was about what it was on the year. I don't want to hear that the the guards weren't trying to get him involved. No, they, they turned the ball over almost half a dozen times trying to do so. And there were times where they probably should have too, uh, but, but there, it didn't end up being a turnover. So they tried to get him the ball, whether it was there or not. And the plays that were being called, you know, some of them were just shut down based on how Chicago was playing or based on the personnel LA had in the game, along with how Chicago was like going under screens, taking what was normally good offense for the team and AD just away from them. Now, there have been two set plays the Lakers have run quite frequently post-trades, post-All-Star break that have had pretty low rates of getting the center involved. Two plays. You want to hear what they are? Their double drag Oklahoma play and their double drag stagger play. If you want to see videos of these, go check out my YouTube. I did a live stream and session of this and then re-recorded afterwards because I forgot a couple clips where you can see the double drag series the Lakers run, how it works with different personnel involved, the different variants of it. Super deep dive. If you haven't checked it out, please do check it out. 
double drag Oklahoma is the you know two ball screens and then the first screener then receives a down screen from the second screener. So often the Lakers will run this with Beasley's the first screener, then AD's the second screener, and then after the ball handler runs off those screens, AD sets a down screen for Beasley. This is a play to generate a three for Beasley. They'll also run a double drag stagger play. Same kind of deal, only both of those initial screeners then screen for a guy in the corner, usually also Beasley, post-trade post deadline. Um, and so those are plays that don't get AD involved. And you could be upset and say, well, these plays don't get him involved. Like, why would you design things that, that keep the star player out of it? Well, why do you run those two plays? When, from a play calling standpoint, do you run those two plays? The reason you run those two plays is because the defense is in drop coverage and they are taking away the role. And because they're in drop and you're going to have two players engaged on the ball handler probing into the paint, rather than rolling to where the defense is, you can stick AD where the defense isn't. And you can have him set a screen for an off-screen shooter and generate good looks. And the Lakers have been effective with these plays. They've been quite efficient with these two plays. I have no problem with this. The, this, is, this is how you attack drop coverage. If they're going to run drop, this is how you beat it. If you go check out the X's and O session that I did in the Discord where I covered here's how you beat switching, here's how you beat drop, here's how you beat hedging, show and recover, or, or more soft catch hedging, all of those different things, I talked about different concepts that just schematically, X's and O's wise, they attack the weakness in the defense. If you look at the session that I did on beating drop, I talk about the Oklahoma action. I talk about these off-screen actions post pick and roll. And so the Lakers are calling these plays at the right times because the alternative is the role's not there anyway. So I sh you should have no problem with this. I have no problem with this, but I can understand why someone could see these or look at my spreadsheet and see, oh, wow, look, these plays don't get AD involved. Is that bad? And understand and arrive at that conclusion. But that's the wrong conclusion. Now, if you think the Lakers are just getting, you know, Beasley too involved or, you know, trying to force it to the new guys too much, I'd say you're, you're not realizing the, the value of that. Um, and you also don't understand how much those sets open AD up, open LeBron up. When Beasley is running off of these exit screens or staggered screens of these Oklahoma actions, it's usually a secondary off-ball weak side action. Sometimes it is the primary action and, and the Lakers are able to generate a shot or maybe a switch to prevent the shot and then they, they post AD up against a mismatch or maybe... 80s man shows on it and you're trailing off of it and then 80s open on a dump off. All of those things are good. But when it's the weak side action, the value is really in taking guys who normally would be help defenders, would be tagging the role man and giving them a second job. And that is what makes a lot of these sets so effective is, you know, at the crux of it, we're running a ball screen, but we're running a ball screen with something else going on. So we can play 2v2 basketball instead of 5v5 basketball. And when you can play 2v2 basketball and you need to show up at the level of the screen or we're going to hit a three, you've got a problem defensively. So conceptually, those actions open up so much of the playbook. And if you don't run those, it completely changes the dynamic of this Lakers offense. And they are tremendously easier to defend. And they haven't all, all season had a very good off-screen guy. Reeves hasn't been good with it. Walker hasn't been good with it. Bev wasn't good with it. Nunn wasn't good with it. They didn't have those guys. Now Beasley's able to do these things. And Beasley, when you're running plays for him, he's getting off-screen looks and he's getting handoffs. In those situations, he has shot 16 for 36 this season with the Lakers on threes, 44.4%. 43% on off-screen plays, 47% on handoffs. 
he's been not very, you know, if you just look at like him spacing on spot ups and in transition, 35.5%. That's fine. 44% when you're running plays for him. Super valuable. And there will be plays where he catches and then he doesn't take a shot. And the re- response should not immediately be, well, you know, well, it didn't work. You know, maybe you created an advantage via a switch or maybe there you drew two defenders to him and that created the, the slip for AD as a screener. Or maybe the value here was he ran off the screen and those guys now can't help on the strong side post-up or ISO or pick and roll or handoff. So you have to understand how these pieces fit together. And, and I think that really demonstrates the value that that brings. So you should have no problem with, with these plays being run for Beasley. He's going to have shooting slumps. By the way, his three-point percentage is going to get better. Um, he's a better shooter than we've seen on the year. And, and again, 44% on off-screen and handoff threes. 35.5% on spot-ups and in transition. His spot-up number is like 25 26%. So that number is going to go up. The others he's been pretty solid in. So I think all things you know considered, AD's out there and understand that his volume in transition and on rolls is somewhat dependent on the, the flow of the game and what the defense is doing. And then his post-up game, he's good when you let him cook or if you cook or, or if you send help and the team runs the right help beaters, which they've done a pretty good job of this season as a whole, he's also good as a passer in those situations. And if you run it enough, the defense will let him play 1v1 because it's better for them than AD dicing you up as a passer in, in 2v1s and 3v2s. But when you post him up, the defense sends help and you don't do anything about it, the wrong answer is for him to just force it. Sometimes he's going to make those shots. A lot of times he's not. I tracked it for like a full season. He's not. Nobody really is. And what makes... Jokic so effective in the post is they have every counter to every help that you can send. What has made Embiid so effective this season, past couple seasons, they weren't as good at this. Philly was good at some beating some helps, not others. Philly's really good this year at, at running post help counters. And those little tweaks make a big difference in allowing and enabling the volume. So, and, and we see teams, they make these decisions. Some of them are just going to say, you know, we're going to make anybody but him beat us. And then, you know, Philly will go beat you with, with open catch and shoot threes. Um, and then other teams say, you know, we know the best option is just to let you cook and, you know, maybe dig a little bit, recover. But it, it really puts the defense in a bind. And there's so many ways you can defend post-up. So you have to have a lot of different answers. So when I, you know, there might be three games in a row where the Lakers play three different types of help defense on post-ups. And they might be good against two of them, but not the third. So they got to clean that up. And once they do, they should be in pretty good shape. So that's all I've got on Anthony Davis. I now want to talk about the Lakers foul situation. But before I do so, I'm going to take another break, grab a, a sip of water. So give me five seconds here. Okay, so on the season, the Lakers are third in the NBA in foul rate for their offense. They draw a lot of fouls. They get to the free throw line a lot. And I should say free throw name. Free free throw rate, not foul rate. Defensively, they are first in free throw rate. They rarely foul. They're rarely putting teams at the line. And when you combine being really good at something on offense and being really good at something on defense, you're going to win that area. You're going to win that factor of the four factors. And the Lakers do, and they have. And they've been pretty decisive. So if you just look at free throw disparity and you look at the big number for the Lakers, 
you might point at that and say, ah, you know, what's going on? The fix is in. Well, the Lakers are good at this on both ends of the court, and not too many teams are. And the defense has been a big factor. If you look at just drives, which I see a lot of people doing, and say, wow, well, the Lakers aren't very high in drives. That doesn't matter. Why, why do you care how many drives they've had? Drives on average draw a foul 7.65% of the time. That's not very high. Some players draw fouls more than others. The Lakers don't have anyone that's super exceptionally high. Um, most of their high-volume drivers are like above-average foul drawers, but nothing crazy. We see other guys who are you know ridiculous numbers drawing fouls. So it's a way to draw fouls, but it's at a, at a league level, it's not the way to draw fouls. If we look at the play types, synergy play types in stat tracks, these as well. These are just general it, ways to set your offense up. Post-ups, isolations, transition, putbacks, pick and roll with the ball handler or pick and roll from the roll man, handoffs, off-screen plays, spot-ups, whether you catch and shoot or catch and attack a closeout, uh, dumps or cutoffs, uh, I'm sorry, dumps and uh, cuts and dumps off, dump-offs, goodness here, and then uh, just miscellaneous plays. And the miscellaneous bucket is usually like intentional fouls, which we saw the Lakers get a lot of in that recent game. I got Reeves a bunch of free throws late in the game or like rebounding fouls. Um, it's just kind of a general bucket for anything that doesn't fit into these other ones. Keep in mind the miscellaneous bucket is usually like four or five percent of your offense overall. So it's not it's not a big piece. If we look at those eleven play types, and we look at which ones draw fouls at a league level most, miscellaneous plays draw fouls the most. The Lakers rank 18th in that offensively, 24th defensively. They're not committing a lot of uh, intentional fouls or rebounding fouls, so that hasn't been a big factor for them. But then we look, the next highest is post-ups. Post-ups are something that a lot of teams don't do. They just purposefully don't want to post up. Post-ups draw fouls higher than anything else over here, except for those miscellaneous plays. 17% of the time, post-ups getting you to the free throw line. The Lakers rank 8th in post-up frequency. Their defense ranks 16th. So average on defense, but they lean pretty heavily into it offensively. Cuts and dump-offs, 15.2% foul rate, or free throw rate, I should say. Lakers rank 14th on offense, 25th on defense. So average on offense, they're not allowing teams to get dump-offs defensively or cuts. Isolation, high free throw rate. The Lakers rank 5th. They ISO a lot and they get to the foul line a lot from it. Defensively, they rank 26th. They don't let teams ISO against them. Teams aren't isolating against them. And thus, they're not drawing those fouls. Transition. This is another one that draws fouls high. 14% foul uh, free throw rate. The Lakers rank 6th in transition frequency. Their defense actually ranks 5th, so, so they're giving up a lot of transition. However, they have the lowest free throw rate of any of the 30 teams in the NBA in uh, transition defensively. Don't know if they're doing something specific there or it's just they're so behind on plays and so bad in transition defense that there's no need to foul. They, you know, <laughs> they're not able to foul. Um, but that's an area where like what would generally be bad for them when it comes to their their free throw rate, they just are really good at not fouling in those situations. And I don't think the fix is in on Lakers transition defense. That's I think that would be kind of silly. Putbacks, draw fouls. Lakers are average, 16th there. Uh, give up a good bit of those 7th. Um, roll man possessions, they're 5th. Defensively, 17th. And then we get down to pick and roll ball handler. Doesn't really draw a bunch of fouls. 17th for the Lakers. and it, So they're, they use them about average. Other teams, fourth highest pick and roll ball handler frequency. So they're doing this a lot and it's not a big foul drawing activity. 
And the reason we see a lot of these, not so many roll man possessions and not so many dump offs is because the Lakers are playing drop coverage and with drop coverage and they're not, and, and also spot ups for opposing teams isn't super high with drop coverage. The Lakers are playing these actions two V two and pick and roll ball handler, mid range shots are often available. Some players are good at them. Some players are not. That's, you know, a separate efficiency thing, but from a foul standpoint and a free throw standpoint, they don't draw a lot of fouls. The Lakers get up, give up a bunch of them. Handoffs, not drawing fouls. Lakers rarely use this, 28th. Defensively, second. Off-screen possessions. You can be really good with the right players in this. Lakers, 24th in frequency. They've got like one guy they run the stuff with, and he's good at it. But you rarely draw fouls with this. Defensively, the Lakers are fourth here. The Lakers will let you run your off-screen stuff and get shots off for certain teams. And then when they game plan against other specific teams, they really top lock and try to take those away. And then spot ups dead last in free throw rate, 5.2% 27th. The Lakers are in frequency and defensively 25th. So the three things, three of the four things that draw the least number of uh, free throws, the Lakers aren't doing and opposing teams are doing a lot. Based on this full distribution, and I, model, I I put this all in, I grabbed all the data for offense, the Lakers' expected free throw rate would rank second in the NBA. They rank third on offense. Defensively, I didn't grab all the data to calculate it, but from eyeballing this, the Lakers aren't frequently, you know, 24th, 16th, 25th, 26th, in the things, uh, from a frequency standpoint, the things that create the most fouls on defense, and then the things that aren't creating a lot of fouls, pick and roll ball handler, handoffs, off screen, the Lakers are fourth, second, and fourth in. So they're not doing, like, it it makes sense. Their style of play on both ends of the court, it has weaknesses in certain areas, but fouls aren't one of them. And when we look at drives again, 7.65%, that would rank lower than nine of these 11 play types. So, you know, driving a lot, that's like, okay, we're running a a bunch of off-screen plays. You know, no one's pointing that out when you're looking at free throw disparities because it doesn't draw a lot of fouls. So why are we pointing drives out? If you look at it, look at this from a shot profile perspective and just look at like areas of the court, or type, I think more types of shots, I think is kind of what matters. Shots at the rim, they draw a lot of fouls. The Lakers rank second offensively in the percentage of their shots around the rim. Defensively, 26th. So clearly very good for the Lakers. On floaters, they don't draw nearly as many fouls, but more fouls than jumpers. The Lakers rank 27th in frequency and fifth in defensive frequency. They're defending the rim, forcing you into floaters. Doesn't draw fouls. And then with jump shots, not drawing fouls often. There are certain grifters out there who do. The Lakers rank 25th in jump shot frequency. Defensively, they rank 7th. So whether it's from a play type standpoint or a shot profile standpoint, the Lakers are doing things stylistically on both ends of the court that directly point to, hey, their offense and their defense should be really strong from a free throw rate standpoint. So... There's, there's no magic going on. They've chosen <laughs> styles of play that lead themselves, lend themselves to being good at these things. With the offense being as strong as it's been, generating advantages, you're going to get more cuts and dump-offs, and you're going to get putbacks, you're going to get in transition, and they like to post up. Like These are things that create fouls. The Lakers like to ISO, and they run plays that set up ISOs with you know weak side action occupying help defense. If you need to defend ISO on an island, you're going to foul more than if you have help. So that's what I'm looking at here. And 
why I don't see this is I see this somewhat as a non-story. And it will be a story, but it shouldn't be a story. So when you hear people complaining about this, point those factors out. What, why do you think they're getting so many fouls? Why do you think they're not giving up fouls? Which is really the stronger end of their game. It's how they play. So that's what I got for content. I'm cooling down a little bit. It's a little fired up about the AD stuff. Let me uh, peruse here and see if we've got any questions. Uh, let's see here. I've got a question about AD's hot run this season. What? So when was AD's hot run? Let me know. Let me know the string of games you're talking about. Uh, he says it came during low play calling, play calling efficiency and zero spacing. Based on, my, I'm not sure. But, so maybe you mean play calling volume. Um, so the team level play calling frequency. He's more involved when they call sets. He's he's still very involved when they don't call sets. But calling more sets should be good for him. But the team level numbers don't necessarily mean, you know, the Lakers have had some of their best games from a play calling frequency standpoint the past few games. That doesn't mean they're going to be necessarily their like best offensive games for specific players. So it's, you know, not quite apples to apples. I would want to see which games are you talking about. I'll go take a look at those games and see what happened. Because there will be games where AD feasts because defenses are switching. Or AD feasts because defenses are not playing any drop coverage and they stink at rotating and he's going to eat on post-ups all day. Or, I'm sorry, rolls all day. Or there might be games where the Lakers just got in transition a bunch. So I would want to see what was going into it. I think with all of this, it needs to be nuanced. All right, let's see here. Are the Lakers eighth in post-frequency overall or post-up scoring possessions? Because there are teams that use post-ups to run splits like Golden State and Sacramento. That's a great question. So I'm talking about post-up scoring possessions, but let me pull a leaderboard, and I already have it up, of post-ups including pass-outs, which would in incorporate the, the split cuts and things like that. So incorporating those pass outs directly leading to scoring possession. So if you have a post up, they kick it out, completely reset the offense and then run something else. That's not going to uh, fit in here. But if we look at post ups, including pass outs, the Lakers rank seventh in the NBA behind the Nuggets, Bucks, Sixers, Bulls, Pelicans, and Raptors. We still see Golden State rank 27th. We see Sacramento rank, uh, did I talk about that? Where are they? Where are the Kings? There are only 30 teams. How am I missing? The, where are the Kings? Oh, 13th. And, and you know, Sabonis posts up a bit. But, no, it's a good point. You are able to, and I, I think there's sense to this, running post-split actions where you have a facilitator starting closer to the rim. So they've got better angles for cuts. And when they're passing to off-screen shooters, it's more of those natural, like, when you run shooting drills, a lot of times, and I mean, teams are smart about this. They, they pass from all over. But if you're just, like, set up with, like, the gun, the, the passing machine, it's going to pass to you from under the rim. And when you're getting post, you know, split passes to pin downs, the pass is coming from under the rim. Uh, so that could be that could be a benefit there of that, potentially. I don't know. Just hypothesizing here. But I know it's a better passing angle in, in distance for cuts, certainly. And you don't necessarily need to actually try to score on the post-ups. You can just use them as a, a passing hub. We see the same thing with high post looks. So even with that, the Warriors are seventh. Um, if we look at post-ups, 
Without those, the Lakers rank eighth. So the Suns post up a bit, but I guess they're not doing much from a pass-out standpoint. So they drop when you include the pass-outs. All right, question, which is more enjoyable for me to watch on film, the new offensive scheme or the defensive scheme when it was good with Vogel? Ooh, good question. I mean, both are fun, but I, I enjoy both. I'd say that why, I, I'll say offense, and the reason why is you have more creativity offensively. There's just more that you can do. And I will say that Vogel did a really good job finding and utilizing ways that most teams don't when it comes to being creative defensively. It's not just, okay, we ran drop or we switched. No, there are different ways we can drop. There are different ways we can switch with the players involved in the screening action itself and when we uh, talk about the help defenders. So there are so many nuanced ways and granular ways you can defend certain actions that the best coaches really leverage defensively that Vogel did a really good job with and was a lot of fun to watch. Offensively, though, this year, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I get more excited with points, and the Lakers have done a really good job running a lot of cool sets, and I have found myself surprised and excited and, and really, like, like I'm, I've learned things for the first time watching Lakers games. Usually I'm, like, you know, seeing stuff from other teams uh, live or people posting stuff on Twitter and be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to steal that. I've seen stuff from the Lakers this year I've wanted to steal, and I don't know that that's ever really been the case. There, there have been certain things, but not nearly to this extent where I'm like, oh, that was really smart. Um, and they, they find actions that work, and they set them up really well, and they're able to get to certain situations. Basketball is a situations game. The Lakers are able to manufacture situations out of different starting alignments in a way that makes it harder for you to discern what's about to happen. So they've done a really good job. They, they do a really nice job from a, when they're, when the play calling is on, they do a really good job from a play calling standpoint, calling good sets, sequencing plays, countering how the defense is adjusting in certain, at certain times. And then there are other areas where they're not as strong, but to me, that's been more enjoyable just because it's been so long since, since I've been covering the Lakers, there's never been like the Byron Scott, Luke Walton offenses were horrendous. Luke Walton's offense was super vanilla and not very fun. This offense is like legit, really good schematically, really good, not just for the Lakers, but in general. And I have not been able to say that about a Lakers team since being an analyst in, in going through these things. So I'll say that, but both, I think I have admiration for and appreciate and am glad that I was able to see on the kind of day-to-day -day basis and volume and rewatches that I've, I've been able to do. I think it's, it's made me a better basketball mind. And I think, you know, hopefully others are able to have that, that same experience. Great question. So that's all I've got. I'm going to hop off here, but uh, I'll be, I'll be in the discord. We'll be back. Lakers play on, what is it? Wednesday? Today's Monday. The Lakers play. Yeah. I think Wednesday. Yeah. Against Chicago in Chicago. So maybe I'll find something to do tomorrow. So, so we've got to stream that as well, but thank you everyone who's with me stuck through this the whole time. If you join late, this will be up as a podcast and you can check that out on the Lakers exceptionalism stream. We covered AD and getting him involved in that whole situation, doing a little bit of myth busting there, as well as 
the Lakers foul situation and doing some myth busting there. So thank you all for joining me. I will see you next time. Uh, go check out the Discord. You can get into that by uh, going to the link in my bio on Twitter. Or if you DM me, Tom, or the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast account, which Johnny runs, uh, a five-star review of the podcast, we'd be happy to get you in there. And then once you're in there, there are a bunch of different levels. And we've got we've got a fun community, some cool people in there. Um, Sean Davis recently joined. Uh, fun X's and O's guy does some, some cool stuff with Lakers Nation. He's in there. So uh, he's... Uh, I see him poking around in my X's and O spreadsheet and we've had some fun DM discussions around it and um, some some cool resources if you want to, if you want more content, because I know we're not always, the, we're not podcasting every day the way others are, have or are able to, but if you want that extra content, the Discord is a great place to be just for the discussions in there and then as well as the additional content that's hosted within the Discord itself. So Join us in there. I want to shout out friends of the podcast, TJ Timotaji, Zach Harris, Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Eric and Doppel, all for living the high life with us in the owner's box. I saw some of you in here in the stream today, had some great questions. Also want to shout out everyone in the courtside and lower bowl crews. Uh, if you're in that lower bowl crew, you get the bonus pods. If you're at the courtside level, you get the X's and O sessions, I believe. Um, lower bowl crew also gets access to the X's and O's like tracker and spreadsheet I have. So lots of great stuff in there. Check us out. Link in my bio. It's tinyurl.com slash support Lakers X pod. And, uh, I'll see you in there. So take care everyone. Thank you for stopping by. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com